Uh, hello and welcome everyone to the MediaWorks and MWI Masterclass. This week's topic is about creating digital experiences that are accessible and inclusive. We'll be walking you through some of the common questions surrounding accessibility and providing actionable tips on how to make your products more accessible to a wider audience. So I'm Declan Kelly, Managing Partner of MWI, MediaWorks Irish Office, and joining me today on the panel is Familiar Face, Andy Blankensop. Hi, Andy. He's our Group Strategy Director. How are you keeping? Yes, not too bad. Hello, everybody. Good stuff. And we have Paul Palmer, who's our Creative Director. Hiya, Paul. How are you? Hello, everyone. Good stuff. Okay, before we dive in, just let me set it up a little bit. So the web and the internet, as we know, is an increasingly important resource in many aspects of our life. That includes everything from education, jobs, how we find new jobs, how governments operate with commerce, with e-commerce, healthcare, recreation, loads, loads more. So it's important that the web is accessible to everyone and that we provide that equal uh, access and equal opportunity to people with disabilities. So an accessible web um, will play a huge role in helping people with disabilities participate more in society. And also an accessible website is often one of the easiest ways to do business with many people with disabilities. For instance, people who you know, can't read printed material, people who have difficulty going to a physical store or a mall and others. Um, so furthermore, uh, what you do for accessibility overlaps with other best practices in mobile web design and usability and SEO, search engine optimization. So an accessible website will give access to the information and interaction for many people with disabilities. And the accessibility barriers to print, to audio, to visual media can actually be much more easily over overcome through web technologies. Okay, so let's start the ball rolling this. I'm going to start at the beginning. and I'm going to ask Andy, look, what does accessible and inclusive design mean in 2022 right now? Right now, thanks, Evan. Um, I think I suppose you know, looking at um accessibility um and building that accessible and inclusive um platforms, experiences, products. I think you know the two words in themselves are often kind of blurred, Declan. You know, there and there is distinct differences. I think and and you know when we, when it comes to kind of building an accessible versus an inclusive product, like they are there are there's some very um. I suppose poignant kind of differences where we can't just blur the lines and start talking about um, them in the same context. So, for example, I think you know when we're looking at accessibility, it's about making sure that everybody can experience your content, they can access your product. So, it's making sure that they can access it. Whereas when we're looking and we're thinking about um, making inclusive design, it's really starting to consider the content itself. You know, accessibility requires a very logical thinking. Um, it's based upon objectives. Um, it's based around measurable measuring the facts, looking at contrast ratios, font sizes, browsers, um, screen readers, different ways that you can actually make your product accessible. Um, however, when it comes to in, like building, making inclusive design, it's more emotional. It's a bit more subjective, and it's about making people want to use your product or your experience. So, actually, you know, inclusive design. Um, accessibility is just one factor of that. And I think we actually, when we think about the two different things, it's it's not just about making your product, your website, your application, or even your, even like you know, your physical product, making it accessible, but it's actually making people want to use it by providing an enriched experience. And that's when you start bringing into things like UX design. It's about kind of making it accessible. It's about people enjoying it and, and enriching an experience. 
Um, so I think actually when we're looking at building products in 2022 and making something you know really really accessible and inclusive, we have to consider both aspects of it throughout the entire design process. You know, and I think by doing that, you're going to create arguably um, a more rounded experience that is like absolutely kind of designed so that everybody can use it and you're not alienating any particular audience or you're making your product you know, inaccessible or not enjoyable for any particular audience type, really. I think, you know, it, we talk about the impact of, of our digital products. And as you say, you know, because of some of the, the, the certain disabilities that people have and not being able to achieve certain things, you know, digital can play a huge part in doing that. You know, I think building digital products can improve quality of life. You know, it can create independence. Um, and, and arguably, you know, it kind of makes for just way better social integration. You know, we're working on a product at the minute, a project at the minute, um, Declan, where it is very much about trying to be the most accessible, inclusive e-commerce experience that there is, you know, and actually, and, and a lot of that is all about empowerment and I suppose building this idea of independence and making making products and, and the internet accessible for people in a way that hasn't happened before. And, and you know, and I think it's really, really important that we, we kind of understand why we're doing what we do. Um, it's not just about, yes, it's about kind of making sure that nobody can't access your product or your service, but ultimately we're trying to we're trying to empower people. We're trying to make, you know, enrich people's lives through digital technologies. And I think that is something that can't be underestimated. It can't be an afterthought. You know, it needs to be ingrained at the very, very start of any project. Okay, Andy. So yeah, what I'm kind of taking from that is, you know, people getting onto the website or your digital properties, it shouldn't be the furrowed brow, the kind of headache look. It's the, the struggle. And, uh, you know, when you get those things right, it's becoming much more intuitive and a better uh, experience. Um, okay, so tell me this then. Where do you start when you're thinking about accessible and inclusive design? It, I suppose it um, wouldn't be a MediaWorks masterclass if we didn't say it all starts with your customer and your audience. You know, it's, it's everything that we do. And I think it couldn't be more apparent in this instance. I think, you know, before in any any product design, I think any project we kind of go about, we always start with who is it we're building this platform, this product, this mobile app, this website for, right? I think the only difference here is that we really need to consider, yes, our target audience from who wants to, to access our our product. And, and you would do that as you would build any um, website. But actually, I think we'll really need to pay put extra focus on the kind of challenges that they face. What are the individual needs, the limitations, the abilities that we need to consider whilst designing the project? Because I think, as you said, um, you know, all if you consider everybody, you will alienate nobody, if that makes sense. You will only provide a better experience for more people. And I think that's kind of by positioning that at the very beginning, you need to understand the limitations and the specific abilities, the needs, of, of customer segments within audience groups, if that makes sense. You know, you know, you might have a very a core audience who need a particular product, and then it's then thinking, okay, what, what what could be some barriers that we need to consider? And I think that all starts by kind of asking the right questions at the very beginning of the design process, um, and understanding that, you know, what, what's the saying? It's it's not about being. Um, it's not designing a product for everybody, but it's making sure that your product is kind of accessible to everybody and the best version of your product for everybody. I think that starts by thinking about, you know, how does somebody with a visual impairment interact 
with your design um, is the things around colour contrast um, that differentiate between diff different versions of your design. How could you be kind of considering that? Um, I think the other thing is as well as, um, you know, just basic things like navigation. How is somebody going to navigate your website and start asking those questions very early on and the different kind of challenges that somebody might have? And then that's going to start thinking about, that's going to start fueling not only the design, but you're going to start thinking about build. Um, video content, even when you look very basically video content, you know, do people people who kind of you know might struggle to watch a video without captions you know how do we kind of help people out in, in that instance when you can't actually kind of you know hear the audio coming out of the video so there's so many things that you need to think about but i think one of the biggest things as well um that is you know the idea of retrofitting some of these things later on in a project is is kind of you know that's you can't do that it's too costly and at that point you've already put, you kind of almost built a product that's going to um, alienate users and stop it being accessible for everybody. And uh, Ali, um, I suppose yeah, I'm just curious here. Uh, when do you, when does this become more prominent? Is it something you would have considered to the same extent ten years ago? Or are you seeing really it's in the last you know a couple of years that's become much more upfront and centre? I think it's 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 kind of always been something that we need to consider if that makes sense there's always been tools out there there's always been standards that like legally kind of have to adhere to and um, so it's, it's kind of definitely been something that designers ux designers and developers have had to consider i do think you made a good point in terms of you know if you think about you know during covid where we have you know arguably um a lot of organizations would offer alternative methods of engaging with um you know vulnerable users or people with disabilities you know coming down to a store and having much more kind of um supported guidance and help around using a product or service has always been on offer but if you think during kind of the pandemic where you know as you say people are restricted that was that that was taken away you know so organizations had to look at the way that they were serving these people and and almost going back and looking at platforms to see, well, actually, is, is this true? Could we be more accessible? Could we do more here to make digital products more accessible? Because other options have been kind of, I suppose, removed from society. So I think it was always there, but I do think that circumstance over the past couple of years has forced people to reevaluate their digital products um, and start thinking, actually, how can we be more accessible? How can digital help us engage? And, I don't want to kind of get ahead of it, but then I suppose when when you start kind of really paying attention or putting it at the forefront of your, your design process, you do start kind of thinking, well, actually, digital can make products more accessible. You know, for example, you know, just language and translation. You know, you might spend a lot of time in face-to-face -face dialogue with certain kind of audience groups and language might be a huge barrier. You know, digital is a, a, a great way to translate language very quickly and, and offer alternative kind of ways to communicate with a particular audience. Um, that is much more inclusive, you know, when you don't have that language barrier and your products become super accessible. And I think so, yeah, I think it, it's definitely been kind of... Um, Brands and organisations have been forced to kind of put it a little, maybe a little bit more into the spotlight where they were serving people offline. That that was removed. Okay. Okay. I think so, the fact that you've just mentioned okay. that it's kind of um, it should be at the forefront um, of a project and it would make all the difference. It's almost kind of like if you're leaving it to the end and almost backtracking, it's going to be harder to just sort of then implement it. I think it definitely needs to be at the forefront of, of any project that we're, that you look at. 
Andy, you're dead right. Uh, and Paul, this is a recurring team. We'll have to tattoo it on our foreheads. Start your best thinking at the beginning. Um, and do it then. Okay. Um, okay, Paul, well, I think I'm going to bring you in here. I'd love to hear, you know, how you would actually apply this when creating digital experiences. You know, if you yeah. could, uh, have a few words on that. Yeah, yeah, so design accessibility product means overcoming an obstacle a user has um, to use it. Um, in the UK, uh, one in five people have disabilities. Um, in Ireland, that's one in seven. Um, with many more uh, people living with a temporary disability. Uh, so to kind of be more accessible and be more accessible as, as possible to, to users and, and comply with accessibility laws, um, UK websites must be coded and designed to meet WCAG um, requirements. They actually have some principles in place, um, and which is like four key principles to abide to, uh, which is referenced as poor. So I think it's just important to kind of go through those and, and almost kind of share examples as to how you can kind of like counteract them. Um, so starting with the first one, uh, perceivable. So all users should be able to uh, accurately see and read your con website content. This means that content must not include uh, dis disclude uh, people with vision and loss, uh, hearing loss and other disabilities. Um, so when I think of this, it's kind of like if you are creating a, a mobile app um, straight away, introducing kind of voice over functionality will then help people uh, that have kind of that are deaf or have a hearing and, and Pediment, it's just easier to then interact with your content uh, in reducing that. Um, next one's operable. So website content should be responsive and, and simple to navigate through users. So Andy kind of touched on that uh, previously. And it's kind of like to then tackle that, we should all, always make sure that we've got kind of um, keyboard sort of only commands within all of the websites that we, we produce, just so they're not always reliant on on using um, the mouse to kind of navigate through a website. Um, next one's understandable. So uh, website interfaces and information should be organized in a way that makes them easy to use, predictable to navigate, and contain languages that are understandable to all users. Um, so with this one, it's kind of like making sure that we're including sort of text instructions, any captions on video, uh, that we can then implement just so this kind of um, screen readers can kind of pick that up and, and, and sort of explain what imagery is on page and, and any video captions that people can interact with. Um, and then finally, robust. Um, so websites should be compatible with a wide range of technology, including assistive technology tools that are commonly used by users with disabilities. Um, so this is where you kind of need to look at the, the website uh, structure, making sure that that's sound, um, introducing things like heading hierarchy, uh, just so assistive technology can kind of read those, read the kind of content in line with how you've sort of laid that out. Um, yeah, and just kind of make sure that that's always, always kind of at the forefront of, of how we lay out those um, key pages. Okay. Uh, yeah. Good principles. I think they you know, structure your thinking and a checklist. Uh, am I right, Paul? Then that you you really got to put yourself in the shoes. You know, if it's the visually impaired, how are they going to engage with this? If I've you know hearing loss, how does that uh, impact? Um, 
So yeah, I think that's always always good practice and, and those principles you might come back to. But when you're talking accessibility, uh, talk to me a little bit about testing and, and what you might learn from that. Yeah, so kind of moving away from the principles, like testing is also key. So uh, we just need to kind of make sure that we're taking these people on that journey and, and kind of making sure that they're at the forefront of when we were looking at a project. Um, so just kind of like making sure that we're, we're kind of taking those key learnings from from those um, and, and just kind of, yeah, making sure that they're, that they're at those key touch points of a project. I think the, the testing thing is really interesting, um, Declan, because I think, you know, there's, there's, how can I say this? There's testing and there's testing, right? So there's kind of a lot of tools that Paul's probably going to talk about. Paul's probably, Paul's going to talk about in a bit um, in terms of what you can do to kind of check and test whether your website adheres to accessibility standards. Uh, that's what you know. And in the nicest possible way, and like, yes, you know, use these tools test throughout the design process, you know, test at the beginning, test in the middle, test when it's been done and make sure you pass all of those standards. It, that's that's definitely there. And that's one, in my opinion, that's kind of one form of testing. You test you meet accessibility criteria. However, there's then, you know, real testing. And, you know, the thing about what we're trying to do is we're trying to make our products accessible and inclusive to everybody. So it's almost kind of treating testing exactly as you would if you were testing a product you've set goals and then you know watch if people can actually achieve them using all of the different accessibility best practices that you put into place so you're not testing whether it's accessible you're testing whether these particular users can achieve the goals that everybody else can you know it's not about making um it's it's not about making a a different experience it's about making them feeling in, inclusive towards the the, pro, the product and it, it's setting the same goals for everybody and making sure that everybody can still achieve those goals so i think there's kind of test that you check the check all of the kind of standards that have been put out there but then test with the users to see if they actually can achieve all of the things that we, we kind of set out to in the same way that you know somebody who was kind of you know if, if somebody's less able they can still achieve everything in the yeah. same way else can um, and Paul, I think you referred to it. This, this is the law that websites have to have certain standards of accessibility. But then, Andy, what you're saying is you really go beyond that. Do your proper testing. That's the key, not just a, a sort of a box ticking exercise. Well, look, we're all about the practical tips here in MWI and MediaWorks. And Paul, I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm looking for any tips for designers who are trying to make their, their bills more accessible and inclusive. Yeah, so there's there's plenty of resource online where there's there's plenty to kind of learn from. But I've just kind of picked out some some core elements um, that are going to be beneficial to every designer out there. So, um, yeah, underlining links. Uh, so this is a common thing that you sometimes see in websites where they're, they're just basing it on color to to distinguish the the links. So just making sure that we're underlining those. So if the color is removed, then um, to kind of make sure that people with like a visual impairment or blindness can then identify that they are actual links. Um, on the subject of colour, so don't use colour um, just to convey information. So um, relying on colour alone can communicate information that causes barriers with screen readers. So we just need to make sure that if we are using colour to distinguish information, we're kind of backing that up with text uh, and, and key messaging to, to pass accessibility. Um, in terms of forms, so we see, I see a lot of forms where we actually, uh, people label um, the forms within within the actual form field itself. Um, 
but that's a problem for screen readers. Um, screen readers can't pick that up. So it's really important just to make sure that you've got the label above the actual form field. Um, oh, yeah. explain to me what a screen reader is. Yeah, so that's just a tool but that allows you to then um, scan a website um, to then sort of pick up content. So, for instance, if there is imagery with kind of without alt tags, the screen reader will then just bypass that and not pick up that information. So that's another one where it's kind of important that you're clearly labeling things in terms of forms, in terms of image tags, just so the screen readers will then actually pick that up. So the screen reader will translate what's on screen into audio. So if it's a picture of a tree, if that's not tagged correctly, it's not getting yeah, anything. It's not and then the screen is going, beautiful old tree. Uh, you know, so then the, the, the person with the visual impairment will actually know what know what's on there. Okay, I'm all about the examples, lads. So uh, humor me on that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then finally, just looking at kind of colored contrast. So um, looking at your background and foreground colors. Um, so anything with kind of a low contrast or overlaying sort of um, text with imagery, again, it's it's hard for that to pick up. So you just need to be making sure that you're sort of dealing with like high contrast ratio colours, um, so the pass accessibility. Okay, yeah, because I had a mate who, who was colourblind and, you know, you would never know the, the kind of challenges he had, even, you know, crossing road and the green man, red man. But you said something there about underlining links, not just relying on color alone. I could just see how that becomes really practical and useful, you know, for him when, when accessing websites. And um, I think you're on a roll there, Paul. I'm going to ask you now any, or even you, Andy, any tips for developers that are trying to make their, their bills then more uh, accessible and inclusive? Andy, maybe you take this one. Yeah, I think, um, so Paul had kind of touched on a lot of the kind of considerations throughout the design phase you know so you know not using color to portray feedback not using color in your design language to be the only thing that would make identify something as clickable or interactive so there's little things like that feedback coming through color just doesn't work you know which the underline underline is such a powerful tool in terms of you know being very clear of click on me i've clicked on me i've rolled over me you can get a lot of kind of um, feedback from it so people can gauge where they are in the experience but all of the things that Paul's kind of mentioned has to have to kind of move our way through from design and into development. You know, so things like you know, a lot of it is the markup on a page and how things have actually been structured so that a lot of the tools that Paul might, a screen reader, a screen reader can only use a, read a page if it's been built and coded and structured correctly. You know, so things, so, so using heading hierarchies correctly, you know, so H1s, H2s, H3s, the behind the scenes coding of a front page, the HTML, are what screen readers rely on heavily. You know, so the organization of content and the markup is really, really important. Now, I think what it's, it's really, I suppose, important for people to understand is that when we build a, a design system and we come up with a consistent language that people can understand, that's definitely going to help, um, you know, a user of a website. But for somebody who might be kind of less able and have to use a, a screen reader, that markup is even more important because it tells screen readers how to how to read how to read the content in a way that is then easy to understand. So I think you know taking that kind of the design approach and portraying it into the code, it's all about markup, you know, so things like organizing content correctly. And then if you're in, if, if you're on the call today and you're an editor of, of content and you've been empowered to use a CMS, you know, when you're uploading content, it's thinking about and maintaining that design system of using headings correctly, using paragraph breaks appropriately, because 
So this is going to be read out and you've got to think that somebody's reading it. We need to put breaks and pauses in, in paragraphs. So it's not just about how it looks visually. It's how it's going to be then read out. So it's super important to think about that. Um, the old text for images, it, again, there's things that developers can do and that almost force these be best practices. For, ex you know, for example, we know that if a, an image on a on page doesn't have a caption, we need something for a screen reader to kind of understand and read. You know, so making making alt text required fields in a CMS will enforce best practice when it comes to content editors moving forward because you won't be able to publish a, a piece of content unless it has that alt text. So not only can developers implement best practice where they, you can do plenty reading about, but you can almost build systems, uh, solutions and products that will mean that that best practice is adhered to. And then in life, when the CMS is there and the website's being used, that all contributors are adhering to best practice. So I think that's really, really important for kind of developers to think about. Um, I suppose I'll go to kind of um, a bit of blue sky thinking as well when it comes to development um, approach. But, you know, you hear people talking an awful lot around kind of headless solutions and headless architecture where what we're doing is we're kind of exposing our content and our information through apis this is kind of the bit that i suppose probably excites me the most um when it comes to how can technology make more inclusive and accessible products but if you think about building a headless solution and then you expose something in a content api right that means that anything can consume that content if it's structured and, and built in the correct way you know so for example you might have a website that's full of frequently asked questions and help and advice around a particular product or service you know that might help vulnerable customers you know once you've got that content being exposed to an api you can then start thinking about some of the other technologies out there that make content more accessible so for example somebody with a visual impairment might use alexa as a skill where they can have dialogue with and consume content you know by hearing it read out to them so i would like you know i think this kind of almost looking at product design and, and building websites that are accessible but what's the future state if that makes sense how do we start exposing content in very particular ways to sort to make sure that our products are like super accessible you know because actually if you think about it um the experience of using alexa skill and having one-on-one -on -one dialogue um, and consuming content to an api you know that takes inclusivity to a next level because actually yeah. a way more enjoyable experience even in my opinion than having to navigate six pages to find something that i want you know through tabbed content if i can just have dialogue with that very same content and have it read back to me in a way that so much more, I suppose, inclusive, but enjoyable. Yeah, so, I think that's a real exciting uh, uh, opportunity there, particularly when you look at the penetration of, of smart speakers, you know, Alexa, Siri, all, all of them. Um, yeah. Andy, I was going to ask you, look, is there a go-to site that would demonstrate a lot of the best principles of good design uh, for accessibility? Is there anywhere you would recommend that people can see this in action? Yeah, well, I think in terms of like good design, if you wanted to go and look at it, and I, I kind of think, you know, if you looked at, say, the BBC iPlayer, so the BBC iPlayer is still, is, is a fantastic um, application, depends what you access it on, whether it's through an iPad, whether it's through your television, or whether it's through... Um, your desktop you know and just try and you know even if you tab through content if you look at all of the options around you know kind of um captions on, on and subtitles on on films and 
on television shows, etc. It is really, really super accessible. If you think the design yeah. is very clear, there's a consistent design language. The the use of color, the contrast between the black and the pink, run that through any screen um, test or any um, checker, and it will pass everything. And if you think about the complexity of that piece of design, it's really like incredible that they've, they've achieved that. I think I wouldn't ever have a, I suppose, do a masterclass in this without mentioning a particular product. <laughs> but, you know, you think, you know, the BBC and you think, you know, the amount of investment that went into that particular website or product to achieve that level of accessibility is phenomenal. Um, and you think the millions and millions of people that use it, you know, it's, you, you kind of arguably wouldn't be surprised. And I think what I don't want people to do is kind of think, oh, you know, do I have to rebuild my entire website in order to abide by accessibility standards and rules? Now, We've worked with a few clients in the past where we've introduced them to something called Recite Me. And now Recite Me is just one version of um, basically a suite of tools that will help make your entire website more accessible for people um, who are kind of either less able or have certain impairments or are, you know, looking at um, there might be some language barriers in place. So if you look at Recite Me, it's kind of almost a piece of tooling that can be deployed on top of a website, should it be structured correctly, that will kind of make your website far more accessible. It, there's some of the screen reader tools, the magnifies, the colorways, all of that can be turned on pretty much at a, at a click of a button in the top of, of, your, of your website when it's deployed. You know, there might be some kind of retrofitting that you have to do to your website, but that is a, a very good way to instantly improve your website and yeah. the performance of it from an accessibility point of view. Because, you know, obviously the BBC isn't, there is, that the, the accessibility standards are ingrained in that experience. It hasn't been, you know, put on as, as a retrofit. Yeah. But there are tools out there that can really help like businesses, you know, improve their products and, and the digital offering for customers. Yeah. So the stuff you can do now uh, with your existing website, and then as maybe you're looking at a rebuild down the road that you can take on board. So yeah, I think the case takeout is uh, don't sit there and think oh, I can't do anything now. There actually is stuff that you can do that would you know, yeah. take some significant steps. Um, you talked about some of the tools there, Andy. Paul, uh, I'm going to ask you sort of what tools you know can people use when designing the experiences that might help them along the way. Yeah, sure. So from from a design perspective, there's there's quite a lot um, of online resource around kind of color contrast checkers. Um, so that just allows you to, to check that your kind of colors are passing accessibility and from a font perspective as well. So if you're kind of overlaying um, sort of content on, on a color, it'll also check that and, and kind of give you guidance around what, what font size it should be. Um, so there's plenty of that online to look at. Also, um, for those people that are using kind of Sketch and Figma, uh, you've got direct plugins to that. So I know all my designers um, that are using Sketch, we all, all, all have a kind of set um, of plugins that will give us the, the sort of um, accessibility checks that we need. Um, so things like Stark and, and, and Close uh, give us that kind of accessibility checker. So it's good when you're working through your work, you can always just check check uh, as and when you're, you're producing your designs. I think that's super important, Paul, to be honest, because I think there are so many tools out there 
Um, and to be honest, as Sketch and Figma kind of evolve as, as kind of some, in my opinion, the best tools in terms of prototyping and design, putting together design systems, it's about changing your process to incorporate these checkpoints to make sure that you're not allowing things to get too far, if that makes sense. So, you know, at wireframe stage, there are certain checks that you can do to understand kind of, you know, definitely like button size you know in terms of you know making what are your touch points what are your touch zones what is actually clickable on a website so you can all of that stuff can kind of be checked up front then when you go through the design phase you can start introducing color checks and colorways and you know looking at the the ratio of background color to foreground color so there's different levels and i suppose more in-depth accessibility checks that you can do in the design process, then when you come into prototyping, we spoke about making sure that you have, you know, you're inclusive in your the segments that you go to test with. I that's a, that's a stage then being implemented. Then going, in, well, I'm not going to get ahead of Paul going into the development stage. But it's really these tools are out there. But I think what you what you really have to do is look at your design and development process and put these milestones in. Yeah, just stitched in as that consistent checks. Okay, and gotcha. Yeah, and oh. in terms. Oops, sorry. Um, yeah, in terms of kind of moving on to build, what we can do there. So there's, again, plenty of accessibility checkers and, and software um, that can almost kind of crawl your website and, and scan that to see uh, where where we can then make improvements. Um, so there's there's companies out there called uh, userway.org. That's all, uh, a good one to kind of have a look at. Uh, they've got a payment plan in place um, in terms of, what 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 offers you kind of put in place for for um, buying into that software, but it allows you to scan your website, um, gives you alerts and information uh, through like a dashboard experience to then highlight those those areas that can be kind of um, fixed and improve your accessibility score. Sorry, Paul, I'm going to just keep interrupting you here, mate. I think again, right? I I kind of went through the design phase of of you know implementing these things, considering them as you're going through the design. But there's that in life thing. There's that maintaining the standard that you set out to at the beginning of your product design. And as what you know, working for big organisations where you do have multiple contributors, having that constant um, review and and health check to keep going back and saying, okay where are we feeling where where's websites grow arms and legs do you know what i mean it happens it evolves over time it's not it's not a fixed thing it's what we tell everybody constantly change constantly evolve keep content fresh make it relevant so i think actually having that dashboard and the product like user way there allows you to stay on stay on top of it you know like we, we do it from an seo perspective we stay on top of the health of our website from an seo perspective to protect visibility it's like well let's stay on top of accessibility and and make sure that our products are being maintained the right way forever yep that makes sense uh paul were you any more sort of tools that you want to put in there are you happy that we've covered um another one that mentions just lighthouse uh so that's uh just an automating tool um that's supplied by google um, and again, that just allows you to check performance metrics as part of that is uh, accessibility checker as well. Um, so that's kind of that's a free to use tool, um, which is as part of the, the Google Chrome dev tools um, that you can kind of use and, and just track your performance. Um, OK, tell me this. Does Google when it's, you know, remember, Google decides what to serve up in, in, in the results. Does accessibility sort of score come into play on that? Like, are you more likely to rank higher or better if you're, you know, if Google deems you have a, an accessible website? 
Yeah, so it kind of it breaks it up into, into kind of five, four or five um, stages. So it looks at the performance of your website. Um, and then it's also got an accessibility section as well. Uh, best practice in SEO. Um, and then based on kind of how, how you've approached the build um, would then give you an overall score. But then it's good that it just highlights it again on a dashboard so you can then see where the issues are um, and then kind of raise any fixes to improve your score. Very good, very good. I'm just thinking back, you mentioned one in five in the UK, one in seven. That's a huge yeah. chunk of the population. And now you're telling me that Google actually will rank you better if you have that accessible website. There's a lovely Venn diagram. I'm a big fan of that, that crossover. I think, yeah, I think we, you know, we've seen, I mean, we spoke very much around uh, core web vitals last july i think it, it came up and that was very much around looking at page signals and the ex the on-site experience was a, a big ranking factor and i think you know when paul broke down that um the lighthouse thing there in terms of performance is one thing accessibility and best practice that's kind of driven by like the kind of the page metrics that are sent back so you know if, if people are bouncing off your website if you know you know the time on site is really poor that's because somebody that didn't enjoy it or they couldn't enjoy yeah. it um so i think all of these page signals that google that um we, that google's reading from user behavior through analytics is definitely a ranking factor um, Declan, and i think it's going to be more it's going to be more and more important you know i, I think the, the the what google's mission statement is to make the to make the internet, um, I suppose, more accessible to everybody and to improve the overall experience. And it started off by the quality of the the quality of experience by using Google is what they are kind of benchmarking themselves against. So I think it's going to be even more important. Okay. Um, do you know what, Andy? I'm going to ask you maybe to you know for some final thoughts on this uh, before I come back and wrap it up because um, it's a, it's a really fascinating, interesting subject. It's quite you know. A lot of scope in it. Um, yeah, you give us your final thoughts if you don't mind. Um, I think the, I think my biggest kind of takeaway, or I suppose, learn is, and, and we talk about kind of you know ingraining accessibility and, and, and inclusion into your website from the beginning, is seen as something that. Um, I suppose one was an afterthought or something that you have to do in terms of just trying to make sure that people can visit your website, you know, and, and making sure people can access your product or service. And that that's kind of definitely going to add value to business. But I think, you know, if you, if you kind of change your, your overall process and look at, you know, including it during the design stages, you know, I think that it's going to add more value than just that. It's going to, it's going to force you to start thinking quite innovatively around solving problems. You know, I think it's going to, take you beyond just kind of um not that you'd ever need a reason to go beyond improving society or or kind of you know making inclusive products but i think it's going to drive innovation within your business i think it's about looking at things differently it's about looking at things from a new perspective that you maybe hadn't considered before um and i think from that comes comes positive innovation um i started go like you know kind of researching it and googling kind of okay so what are the most kind of innovative things to have come out of you know thinking about accessibility and there was a story that i read which was uh, the typewriter so the typewriter was invented by a fella called pellegrino turi for a lover who was blind um back back when the typewriter was kind of first designed um Obviously, the only way that you could kind of express or send love um, messages or, you know, romantic poetry to a loved one was through kind of um, writing through pen and ink. 
But obviously, you know, um, people if you kind of struggle, you were less able, someone was blind or partially sighted that couldn't do that. So then to, so, so people could maintain their privacy, the typewriter was invented because it was a way for, for somebody who basically had a kind of a visual impairment could write their own notes. And then if you think about that, that one piece of innovation, what that's then went on to do and what it's now shaped off the back of building a typewriter, then building keyboards. Then if you look at the mobile phone and now it's a kind of the most common way to communicate or, or tool that's used in order to kind of send messages. So I think, you know, laptops, um, I suppose even televisions have typewriters in them now. So, you know, from, from thinking about making something more accessible or empowering somebody to do something that they couldn't, you know, become some of the biggest innovations, you know, things like Alexa's, you know, was when Alexa was imagined, was it through thinking about making content more accessible for people less able? I'm not 100% sure, but it has definitely changed the way technology can be installed in households. And it just makes, it, it empowers people, it gives independence. Um, so I think innovation is, is a big thing. You know, businesses are putting innovation at the heart of what they do. And I think, you know, by putting some of these best practices and these ways of thinking in, will will encourage innovation within a business. I think that's a fine and fitting way to draw this conversation uh, to a close. Uh, I might sort of do a quick wrap up for some of the key takeaways here. Uh, accessible design is going to provide the foundation of ensuring that everyone can experience your content. Inclusive design actually consider the content itself. So ask the right questions at the beginning of the process. Who are you talking to? What are the challenges they're facing? And I think importantly, acknowledging the diversity of people who will be using your site. You know, we talked about the one in five and one in seven in Ireland. Uh, you mentioned the principles of poor being perceivable, operable, understandable and then robust compatible with a high, wide range of technology um and Andy, i thought you interestingly mentioned you know alexa is part of that set of where this is going um some of the top tips that i really liked was you know underlining all links ensuring your site allows multiple ways to navigate around it for keyboard mouse simple things adding those captions and transcripts to the videos providing those alt text for the screen readers so that they can then, you know, see what's on that website. We know that there's a lot of tools out there that can help you, but it's not a beginning and end. It's a consistent part of that process. There shouldn't be any surprises in terms of your accessibility as you're building out that website. And then finally, that inclusive and accessible design is about looking at things differently and taking that new perspective to help drive innovation. Andy, I'm not going to forget Pellegrino Turi. Didn't even hear of him before today, the inventor of the typewriter, whose uh, accessibility innovation was inspired by the greatest inspiration that exists, love. How can we, how can we forget that? So let's get back after this, typing on our keyboards, on our phones, and let's remember uh, to ensure that our web and digital experiences are inclusive and better for all. Because the bottom line is that it's better than for business. I would like to thank everyone for attending, for your time and attention. I would like to thank the panel, uh, Paul and Andy, really great stuff. We will be back next week for another MediaWorks and MWI Masterclass, and we really hope to see you then. Take care. Have a great week, folks. All the best. <laughs>